All right, let's get into the word of the Lord. Jesus said he came to give us life. I have come to preach to you life today. Hallelujah. I want to uh, begin by saying last week I preached on the fact that our faith is being tested like never before. There's just something right now, last week and especially this week, God's continued to burn in my heart this thing about faith. Church, as the church, our faith has got to arise. Amen? And that although God would not tempt us, he said, he said that he would test us. And I taught that God will use our trials to test our faith. I gave many examples that can be found of this in the Word of God. I talked about Isaac. I talked about Moses. I talked about Abram's faith being tested. God is testing our faith for a purpose to cause our faith to grow so that we can face the perilous times that lie ahead. For us to face these times, we must have faith. We must walk by faith. We must speak by faith. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. We must face our trials by faith. If not, we'll face them with fear and we'll become defeated instead of victorious. God is building an army of soldiers of the faith who will stand on their faith and believe that nothing is impossible with God. God will not let me get away from this teaching, so I guess you could say this is part two of the series. This message will parallel with last week's. And the point is, we must have faith. The medical field is the fastest growing entity in our country. Why sickness and disease has rampantly grown. The medical field is necessary to our lives. As much as that's viewed as needful and hopeful to our lives, it's also alarming to me. The growth of hospitals and clinics and counseling centers and haven houses and psychiatrists and psychologists needed to meet the demand gives a stark reality and a testimony to the enormous amount of pain, hurt, sickness, and brokenness that exists in our lives. In Christians and non-Christians alike, living with emotional turmoil is found throughout the world in our nation, in our state, in our communities, even in our very own households. You know, we have a very ministry in our church, and I thank God for it. I thank for God for the ones that are serving in it. It's called the prayer chain. God has revealed something very astounding to me, though, through it. I have seen request after request for physical healing, and rightfully so. Because God said, I am the Lord God that healeth thee. But what I seldom see is a request for emotional healing. It appears there is an embarrassment towards asking for help when it's directly of an emotional nature. Yet we have just as many sick emotionally as we have physically. And the truth of the matter is so many people have physical problems as a result of their emotional problems. Those that are in need of a healing circumstantially, relationally, emotionally, they have been wounded and they've been hurt, feel just as sick and need prayer just as much as those who are physically sick. If I was just to walk up to you and say, I'm sick, your first thought would be, what's wrong with me physically, would it not? But if I add to it and bring some clarity to it, if I say I'm sick and tired of or I'm sick of it, that would change your perception. The need to be made well implies that I'm afflicted, either physically, emotionally, situationally, or relationally. It is a need we will all go through at some point in our lives, even as Christians. It's true. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But my God shall deliver us from them all. Somebody say amen. amen. In this church alone is a large group of people who need to be healed. Many physically, but just as many perhaps emotionally. And for some, they're even spiritually sick. 
Well, what would that mean? One of two things. Either they're not saved. You mean if you're not saved, you're considered sick? Yes. What did Jesus say in Matthews 9, 11 through 13, making reference to sinners being sick? Jesus was eating with sinners. The Pharisees saw it. They said to his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. So not to be saved is to be spiritually sick. And another form of spiritual sickness is sickness put on you by your adversary, the devil, who's come to kill, steal, and destroy you. Like found in Luke 13, Jesus was in a synagogue teaching on the Sabbath. A woman walks in. The Bible says she's been bowed over for 18 years. She'd had this issue, and it was because of a spiritual infirmity put on her by Satan. But Jesus calls her out, says, woman, thou art loosed, laid his hands on her, and immediately her back was straight. So what am I saying is there's all kinds of sickness on this earth, spiritual, emotional, and physical. But the good news is God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. See, Jesus is able to heal all manner of disease and sickness. According to Matthews 4 and 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of all the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So I say unto you, welcome to the palace of praise, the healing center. Jesus is the great physician, and he's ready to see you now. And whether you know it or not, you have an appointment with God today, and you ought to be excited and full of expectation to think that you would get to see and meet the greatest physician in the world today. And best of all, it's free. You don't even need insurance. All you need is assurance, that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Hallelujah this morning. You've been to all kinds of doctors. They can't figure you out. But today you get the opportunity to see Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Come on, somebody. You've been like this for years. You spent all you've had on your doctors. You've been told it's all in your mind. You've been told there's no hope. Some have been told to go home and prepare to die. But I've come to bring good news. You're sitting in the presence of Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. For some of you, the need for healing comes from the past. Perhaps your childhood, the abuse. Oh, yeah, you're here, and God knows all about it. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Some of you healing for anguish in your present situations, hurting and pain. You're enduring it, but it's hurting. Some of you for uncertainty about your future. Am I going to make it? What am I going to do? Is she going to come back? Is the doctor right? You're all here, and you know it, and God knows it, and we can all help each other right here, right now. If you would raise your hands, everyone that says, I need a healing this morning, whether it's emotionally, physically, or spiritually, we're here. We're all here, and God knows you're here. There's people you're sitting at home online right now. Raise your hand at home and go ahead and say, God, I need you. I need to be healed. And for those who couldn't raise your hand, maybe perhaps this morning, I pray by the end of this service, you'll realize you've got nothing to be ashamed of. The devil is a liar. And you're not here by accident. you got an appointment with God today. You see, our God still makes house calls. He'll come to you. The need for healing is real. Some of you are still wounded. The abuse is over, but the pain lives on. You don't trust no more. You're lonely. You got no self-esteem. Some have got emotional wounds that won't seem to heal, 
but you're infected by bitterness and anger and wrath. And some of you have been to the doctor over your physical problems, but the doctor just can't seem to pinpoint the problem, say they can't find nothing, yet you need a healing. The true problem, often in these cases, is you're trying to fix a physical problem that's actually been caused by an emotional problem. And you're allowing a doctor to try to cure you physically when actually your physical pain is caused by an emotional disorder you're not willing to admit. Because you feel it would be embarrassing for you to admit it, belittling for you to say it. You're a big, strong man. You would feel like it'd even be unchristian for you to consider it. Too shameful to admit it. Too painful, maybe, perhaps, to address it. So let's just keep it a physical problem. That's easier for anyone to understand. Because when it's an emotional or a relational problem, that's when we're labeled as weak, unstable, ridiculous, and mostly challenged. But if I keep it just a physical problem, we all understand it. Problem is, your physical is not going to get better until you emotionally get better. And you're not going to get physically or emotionally better if it's a spiritual problem until you address it as a spiritual problem. Come on. It'd be like giving medicine to your daughter, but it's your son who's sick. Treating your daughter will never help your son. Oh, I tell you, today I'm fixing to tear up the devil's campground today. Because I'm here to reveal to you his subtle scheme to keep men and women from being healed and made free. And I have come to tell you shame and guilt and pride and inferiority is nothing more than shackles your enemy has placed around you life to keep you from being healed. Hallelujah. Until you deal with the emotional issues, you're never going to be healed of the physical issue. That's why you're still sick. Stress can make you sick at your stomach. Worry can make you not sleep. Grief can make you become depressed. Sin can cause you to die before your time. Sorrow can make your, make your heart hurt. Emotional abuse can cause you mental anguish. Come on, somebody. I'm telling the truth. You've tried everything. The doctor don't, don't know what to do with you other than medicate you, give you a mind-altering drug. But I say to you, if it's all in your mind, then let your mind be renewed by the transforming power of God who's able to give you peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. For the oppressed and the depressed, I say put on the garment of praise for your heaviness. Hey, how about you just, would you everybody just raise up your hands for a minute? Now go ahead and shake off them heavy bands, would you? Hallelujah. I hope you came to have church this morning because the doctor's going to see you today and he's going to turn your life around. He's going to take all the time he needs to meet you today. See, the woman with the issue of blood had the issue for 12 long years. She spent everything she had, went to every doctor she could find. Nothing worked until one day she got an appointment, just like you have today, to touch the great physician Jesus. And the Bible says immediately the bleeding stopped. No one else could stop the bleeding. But if you really study this account, you'll find out she had more than just a physical problem. She also had an emotional problem and a spiritual problem. Why do I say this? Listen to what Jesus says to her. Very important. Bible says, when she pressed her way into the crowd, and when she had touched the hem of his garment, Jesus asked, who touched me? And when he finds out, he says to the woman, thy faith has made thee whole. He didn't say bleeding stop or your issue of blood is healed. No, he said, your faith has made you whole, meaning physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God don't just treat symptoms. He heals them. He went about healing all manner of sickness and disease. Did you notice that he divided them between sickness and disease? He said her faith made her whole. He didn't say the chemo. 
He didn't say the, the medicine. He didn't say the surgery. Instead, he said her faith made her whole. And the reason many of us aren't healed emotionally is you're trying to do it by medicine alone instead of by faith. Now, I better clear that up because I'm not preaching don't take medicine. You may need it. But I want to tell you something. There is no pill on earth going to heal you emotionally. It's only going to treat you, and you need to be healed. And there's no pill on earth going to heal a spiritual problem. This woman believed God could do what man couldn't do. God can use a doctor, and God can use medicine if he chooses, but he'll always be the one who can when they can't, the one who can make you whole. Who healed her? Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. Now, Jehovah Rapha is established in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 22. It says, let's dig in. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. This is after the Red Sea encounter. We talked about the Red Sea encounter last week. Most of you know that story, the Red Sea. But for those who might not have been here, let me quickly just sum it up once again without a lot of detail. Israel become under the bondage of Pharaoh, the emperor of Egypt. They're made to become slaves. Continued for 430 years until God raised up a man called Moses after hearing the cries of his people. God told Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Of course, Pharaoh resisted, and the battle began. Spiritual warfare began. It wasn't until after God had sent ten plagues upon the people of Egypt that Pharaoh finally submitted to God, the God of Moses, and let the people go. The Israelites celebrated and left Egypt. On their way to the promised land, Canaan, the land God had promised them that flowed with milk and honey, after getting a few miles down the road, once again, Pharaoh has a change of heart, symbols his great army, and goes after them to destroy them. He chased them to the Red Sea. He had them trapped, he thought. Israel was in what we call between a rock and a hard place. And Pharaoh's army was on one side, and the Red Sea was on the other side. They could, they could either die from the sword, or they could drown in the Red Sea. Their backs were against the wall. Just when they thought they were done for, God showed up. He made a way to escape. I know I'm talking to somebody today. God had a plan. He told Moses, stretch your rod over the sea. And the sea parted, and they crossed over on dry ground. The enemies chased them, but after everyone was across, God shut the sea. And Pharaoh's army was destroyed. Their enemy had been defeated. Then what happens? The same thing that happens around here when we get a victory. The ladies' ministry threw a party. As I pointed out last week, Miriam grabbed her tambourine and verse 20 said, and all the women went after her with their tambourines in a dance. Miriam shouted in verse 21, sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. His horse and his riders thrown into the sea. They were getting their praise on. They were making a joyful noise unto the Lord. That day, God had performed a miracle. That's when you really know it's God, when there's no human explanation or how you get out of a circumstance like that. So they have a praise service. But now, let's move on and look what happens after their Red Sea experience in verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Oh, boy, what a change of contour. The wilderness all too often is not an exciting place. It's usually a barren and a dry place. But it was the only, say only. It was the only way they could get to where God was taking them. The only way to get from here to get to there is you've got to go through. You got to get that. In other words, in case you didn't, the only way to get from Egypt to Canaan, being delivered from bondage to promise prosperity, was to go through the wilderness. The only way to get out of what you need to get out of to get to where you're supposed to be in, into the land of blessing is to go through the process. It's always a process. We can't preach that enough. We preached it a lot. To get your promise, it takes a process. Read your Bible. 
It'll confirm what I'm telling you. You've got to go through. Yet, if you refuse to go through the wilderness, you'll always remain in bondage. I'd rather live in the wilderness than the bondage any day. If Israel would have refused, they would have remained in bondage. Too many want the promise without the process. Folks, learn this in the wilderness is where God prepares you for the promise. Come on. Sadly, for too many, they can handle the bondage better than they can the promises. So the wilderness is where you got to go, got no choice but to trust God. And through the wilderness, your process, your circumstance, he allows you to go through them. That will prepare you to handle your promise when you receive it so you won't lose it again and return back to the bondage. By the time you're through your wilderness, your faith is going to grow to support the promise. That's good preaching right there. So they go, get this, just three days into the wilderness, and a problem naturally arises. There is no water. You can't sustain yourself more than three days without water or you will die. So I'm sure by now there's a lot of prayers going up. God, we need water. Then it happens. They see it. Just off in a distance, there's water. I can just imagine the relief they felt. I bet for the few, they even began to run ahead. The few had the strength left to, to run. Probably a roar of praise took off. It probably hit the congregation. Moses was leading it. They must have thought, God's done it again. But verse 23 declares, they couldn't drink the water because it was so bitter. So bitter that, matter of fact, they named the place Mar, which meant bitter. Imagine, three days, no water. Then you find water, but you can't drink the water. The water was infected. It was polluted. I would hate to have been, hate to have been the first guy who took the first drink of that water. Can you imagine that right there? Water, water. <laughs> he had to be amazed to think, oh, my goodness. He must have thought, you got to be kidding me. Just came from a miracle three days ago, a Red Sea celebration, yet immediately they did what we so often do. Verse 24 says, the people grumbled, they murmured, and complained. Now watch this now. Three days ago, a miracle. Three days later, now they're murmuring. It don't take long for us to go from thanksgiving to complaining. You know I'm right. <laughs> Some folks <laughs> can leave here after a Holy Ghost outpouring, and now you're hungry, and you pull out there on Three Rivers Boulevard, find the traffic blocked up down there at the end of the road. Instantly, you're already griping and fussing, and maybe for some, even cussing. You're all worked up. Come on, people. Let's go. This is ridiculous. Ought to be a traffic light here. I'm so sick and tired of this. The buffet special will be over before we ever get there. Come on. Just got a miracle 15 minutes ago, and now you're fighting with your wife over the kids out on the parking lot. Been set free, been celebrating with your tambourine, got your dance on, to three days later declaring you're so sick and tired of this mess because the very next thing didn't go your way either. Oh, ye of little faith. The water was bitter. They complained to Moses, what are we going to do? Please notice the miracle they experienced and the problem they are now experiencing are both dealing with the same thing, water they had just came from a water problem, and now they're facing a water problem again. But don't miss this. They had just saw three days ago 
what God can do with the water problem. So why are they murmuring about the water problem again? They saw that he could do that, but they couldn't see that he could do this. They are complaining because they have a water problem with no visual solution. They didn't believe God could part the Red Sea either till they saw it. Come on. The truth is they have more than a water problem. What they got is a faith problem. Now, why went this direction will start to make sense. Stay with me. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Remember what I said earlier? Too often we are dealing with the wrong problem. See, God showed them he was the solution to the water problem at the Red Sea. So they could see he will be the solution to the water problem the next time. So they could see if he can get me through that, he can get me through this. But nobody was saying that. No one was expressing faith. Stay with me. You got to get this. So much of our problems can be solved by what we don't see versus by what you do see with the natural eyes. Because all your natural eyes sees is a problem. But by faith, your spiritual eyes see the solution. Faith sees differently, speaks differently. Faith sees bad made good. Faith speaks things as though they're going to be, calling those things which are not as though they were. But they murmur. It don't take long to forget what God can do. Because it don't take long to forget what God has done. We as humans got that. What have you done for me lately syndrome? And church, it's not godly. They are en route to their future, and they run into a dilemma again. How many know God can use adversity to teach you, to move you, and to grow you? Remember what I said happens in the wilderness? It's preparation. The water in the wilderness has, has become bitter. There are people here today in, this, in the wilderness, and you have become bitter about your conditions, your circumstances. You went through or you're going through. But God will use the wilderness to make this bitter better. Too many right now are bitter at life. They're not happy where they're at. Worrying, am I going to make it? My circumstances are terrible. My relationship is crumbling. My finances are gone. My health is failing. And you've become bitter in this dry place because life right now doesn't taste so good. Why? They're allowed to go through this problem. Exodus 15, verse 25 answers this question. It says, then he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he tested them. Here it is again. Tested their faith. You know what Mar was about? It was a test. You know what all this stuff you're going through is about? It's a testing of your faith. Stay with me. As I said last week, our faith is being tested like never before. Your wilderness will be a place of testing. The water problem is simply the means used for the testing. I don't know if it was this true for you in school, but I only got tested on the things I was supposed to know. I was never tested on what I wasn't supposed to know. I mean, they gave me the answers before the test, and if I would have studied and learned them, there would be no reason why I wouldn't have passed the test. I don't remember being tested on what I hadn't been taught. You were being tested to see if you got it, if you had paid attention, if you'd learned anything, to see if the information you were given was learned. You see, three days earlier at the Red Sea, God had given Israel some valuable information. The lesson they should have learned that day by what God showed them was that when they face a water problem, that I'm able to intervene through means you can't predict or anticipate and solve your water issues in your life that nothing is impossible with God. 
It was a lesson on how to deal with your problems when your back's against the wall. Come on. But now three days later, he lets them face a water problem again because he had just given them a water lesson. So he wants to test them and see whether or not they were paying attention. He tested them on what they should have known to see if they paid attention to his H2O teachings. They had to learn to trust him by faith. They were in a desert. Do you know how to face a bitter situation like today, similar to the ones you faced three days ago? Or have you forgotten the lesson already? It was a test. Please notice that when they were being tested, they are in a wilderness, yet in the will of God, they haven't went astray. That thing you've been thinking along is trying to destroy you is actually just a test. You can be in God's will and be in the wilderness. Israel was in God's will and be three days with no water. In God's will, me three days with no job. In God's will, me three days with no car. In God's will, me three days with no answer. They were right in the will of God, but struggling, failing God's testing of their faith. Tests when you're in God's will are designed for two things. To see if you were paying attention or just nodded your head saying, amen. For an opportunity to see that God can reveal something new about himself to you that you hadn't previously understood or realized about him. Mara was a test. What they saw was a circumstance. What they didn't see was the test. They were supposed to know what to do based upon what they'd already learned at the Red Sea. They should have learned to have faith in their circumstances. Now, here's how you know you're missing what God is trying to teach you. Here's how I know I'm missing what he's trying to teach me. When I'm in the test... And I'm murmuring and complaining. We've all been there. We've all murmured. I'll confess it all by myself, and none of y'all don't want to. It was a test. Were you paying attention? Or was that just a good sermon for a Sunday morning service? God will always test you in what he reveals to you. Hear a message on patience and see if he won't be tested on patience before the week's over. Why? To see if you got it. So their first response was to complain. Verse 25 says, Moses, after hearing them, cries out unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. And he told him to throw it into the water. And in doing so, the water became sweet. Now, I would call that an unorthodox way to unpollute water. If that's all it takes, then why don't we just do that today? Why we got to use all these chemicals and have all these college degrees needed and water treatment sites to have good water? Why don't we just throw a tree in the water? Wouldn't work for the EPA regulations, though. That's because man can only naturally address problems. But God can supernaturally address your problems. I would have called the parting of the Red Sea an unorthodox thing as well. See, when God puts you in a situation where you see no way out, it's because he don't want you to. He don't want you to see it. He wants you to see him. The Red Sea, there was no way out. They couldn't see it. The reason they couldn't, God wanted to take the opportunity to show himself strong on behalf. He wanted them to see him. He wanted to show up and show out in a way he could only get the glory. Why? To build their faith in him. He wanted to prove to them he was their deliverer. So God lets them go three days without water. It leads them to a place without no visible solution again. Stay with me. I'm headed somewhere. You see, you have to prove to people they can depend on you. Moses didn't know what to do other than what he did at the Red Sea. By faith, he cried out to God. He had learned that by the lessons that he was taught. 
And God tells him, throw a tree into the water. And when he cast a tree in the water, the waters were made sweet. It was the Red Sea experience that built his faith. And Moses was beginning to learn, regardless of what situation he faces in the future, to trust God and to not lean to his own understanding, but acknowledge him in all things and he'll direct his path. Moses threw the tree in by faith. Why faith? Because faith always causes God to get involved. He obeyed, and the bitter water became sweet. That's not a normal purification system. So here they see another miracle just three days later. And that leads to his name in verse 26. And he said, speaking of God, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord God, and do that that is right in thy sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee, Jehovah Rapha. Now we're back to where I started. Now I'm just going to start trying all this stuff together. He used the bitter water, the trial, to teach them a lesson about himself. That not only I can deliver you from your enemy, I can heal you too. And the lesson was about his name. And his name, Jehovah Rapha, means I am the Lord your healer. He used this example of bitter water and turning it into sweet water to show them he was not only their deliverer like he showed them in Egypt, not only their provider like he showed them in the wilderness, not only their way maker like he showed them at the Red Sea, but that he's also their healer, that he is I am. I am whatever you have need of. I didn't send you to the test so you could get water. I used the water so you could learn something new about me. What did I say would happen in the wilderness of God? God will reveal himself to you, that God will prepare you for your promise. What he said in verse 25 I found interesting. I'll not put any diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Now, remember, there's conditions to the promise were. If you diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord God, and you do what is right in the sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, he was saying all that mess you just left behind in Egypt called the ten plagues, I put that on the Egyptians as judgment, but I don't want them on you. I don't want you to go through what the unrighteous are going through. All their diseases I don't want you to have. Why did he put them on Egypt? Because Egypt was full of idolatry. They served false gods. In other words, they were unrighteous. So what God is saying to the unrighteous, the wages of sin is death. But to the believer, the gift of God is eternal life. That's why he wanted to establish them that he was Jehovah Rapha. If Egypt would have left their gods and served the only true God, Jehovah God Almighty, they wouldn't have had to endure the plagues. But the plagues were the consequences of their sin. Sin always brings forth death. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, when they had disobeyed God and ate of the tree, their sin brought forth the curse of death, and that was when sickness became a curse, bringing forth spiritual, emotional, and physical sickness. But Christ went to Calvary to die for the sins of the world, and he went down to the depths of hell and took away the keys to Satan, death, and hell in the grave, conquering death once and all, giving us the gift of eternal life and not death. For now that if we'll confess our, with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And then we too will be free from the curse of skin and sin and be in to spend eternity with him in heaven where there is no more sorrow, no more sickness, and no more death. Which leads to my point. When it comes to sickness, there's a difference to it when it comes to a believer versus an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, you're spiritually sick. 
Unless you give your heart to Christ, you're a sinner, and the wages of sin is death. This is what he was telling the Israelites about the Egyptians. He authorized the plagues upon them. But for the believer, he promises, I'm the Lord, your healer. That many are the afflictions, the rights about deliver you from them all. In other words, he's not putting any disease upon you. He's the one that's going to heal you of your diseases. Whether it's on this earth or when he takes you home from this earth, God's going to heal you. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. This is the promise for the believer. He said, when he came to earth, talking about from this day forward, down here or up there, it doesn't matter. Now that I'm here, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. For I am the Lord God that healeth thee. Jesus went about healing all manner of disease and sickness. He told us, greater works than this will you do. You shall cast out demons. If you so much drink any deadly thing, if you lay your hands upon the sick, they'll recover. In Matthew 10, 1, speaking Jesus. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we're even able to ask or think by the power that worketh through us. Folks, we've been given the power to lay hands on the sick and they recover. We must understand the difference between the affliction of the unrighteous versus the righteous is the afflictions of the righteous always has a purpose. It's not in vain. For God to reveal himself, for God to reveal something to you that you didn't know, always a purpose. purpose. But for the unrighteous, it's always just simply death. It's possible for believers to go through some of the same hardships as the unrighteous. Because the scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. But a difference, again, as a believer, what the enemy intended for your bad, God will turn into your good. For the believer, without God, you simply suffer the consequences of your sin. For the believer, if you should sin and you repent, he's faithful and just, forgive you all sin and cleanse you all in righteousness. Just because you're saved doesn't keep you from disease or sickness. Every single one of us will die of something. And rest assured, we'll all die sooner or later, unless raptured. The Bible talks about how the saint will only die once, but the sinner will die a second death, meaning he will face the judgment of God. Now, there is a nonsense theology that says if you have faith, you won't be sick, which works for them just long enough for them to get sick. Folks, we can get sick from things in the air you have no control over, pollutants, toxins that infect your body, things you eat causing physical illness, tragedies, abuse, and trauma can cause emotional sickness. But the good news, regardless of how we get sick, God can heal us. If we hearken to his voice, keep his commandments. You know, we all have cabinets full of medicines for the little stuff. The skin knee, you know, the toothache, the sinus, the fever. Meds to address all those things. Yet if we got something more serious than that, 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 that those things can't help us no more, then you go to a doctor and you get a prescription, right? You can't get a prescription until the doctor authorizes it. The prescription medicine is designed to go deeper and be more stronger than the over-the-counter, right? So he writes the prescription, and that's, you, that's where you know whether or not he's really a doctor or not. Because if you can't read his signature, he's probably the real deal. So he scribbles something on a notepad. You don't understand it, and you take it to a pharmacist. He goes behind the counter. You don't have no idea what he's putting in your bottle. You just hope he passed at the top of his class. So he's putting what he has been authorized into your container, Wait a minute. You go to a person, a doctor, who writes an instruction you don't understand, but it's written, so you trust it. I'm going somewhere. What is written by your doctor you carry to the pharmacist? You take what he gives you because you believe, have faith, your doctor knows what he's talking about. You have faith in what he has written. Now I'm talking about the Word of God. 
But if you get your prescription home and you lean to your own understanding, well, I don't think this is going to work. You know, it says take four times a day, but I believe twice is all I'm going to take it. Well, I took one yesterday and nothing happened yet. If you lean to your own understanding, then don't get mad at your doctor because what he told you to do isn't working if you didn't do precisely what he told you to do. Just simply because you didn't like it or you didn't understand it. If you didn't obey it, then don't expect to get better. This is what God was telling the Israelites when it came to their healing. If you'll hearken to my voice, you'll do what's right inside of my eyes, live right, just keep my statutes and commandments. In other words, don't get mad at God if you don't get healed if you're not being obedient to his word. Does he give any prescriptions or instructions to get healed? Yeah, there's, there's a, here's just a few of them. If there be any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church to lay hands on them. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. He told the man with the with the hand, stretch your hand forth. He told Naaman he had to go dip seven times in the Jordan. He said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Come to you all that are labor and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Be renewed by the transforming mind. My grace is sufficient. The lesson to learn at Mara was that you have to have faith in God, that without God it's impossible to please God. You can't only be a hearer of the word, but you also got to be a doer of the word. He sent his word to heal you. He also gave them an object lesson tomorrow when Moses, when Moses threw the tree in the water. God wanted them to see what he could do with the bitter situation. Not only did the water get, become better, it became sweet. So if you're in a bitter situation and you just want it to get better, he'll give you exceedingly better what you ask. What did they need to get healed from bitter water? If life turns bitter on you, Physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you want to make sure you're keeping his statutes, his ordinance, and you're appropriating the word of God. Even when it seems unorthodox, when it, even it don't seem to make sense. Expectation is a breeding ground for miracles. We have in our community a number of things to make things better. Well, we got a car wash. Car goes in dirty, and you expect it to come out clean, right? Better. We got the cleaners. You take your dirty clothes in, you expect them to come out clean better. We got hair salons. You take your dirty hair in, you take it off, and you throw it in a bowl, and you expect it to come out clean. Better. In other words, they go in one way and come out another, but you always expect it to be better. But isn't it amazing? People can come into church dirty and leave dirty, go out the same way they come in, never expecting to be better. What's the problem? No expectation. If you go through a car wash, you expect it to be better. You go to the cleaners, you expect it to be better. A hair salon, you expect it to be better. Yet a child of God can go to church and he don't come out and he comes out of a Holy Ghost breakout and he doesn't seem to be any better. What's the difference between the cleaners, the hair salon, the car wash, and the church? When you go into the cleaners, you do what they say. Hand me your clothes. And you do. When you go to the car wash, you do what they say. Put your money in, pull forward till the red light comes on, put a neutral, pull out on green. When you go to the hair salon, you do what they say. Sit down, put your head in the bowl, sit still, don't move. And we come to church and we hear the voice of God and we say, I don't think so. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that will work. All that stuff ain't for me. But that's why your car can be clean, your clothes can be clean, and your hair can be clean, and the saints can still be dirty because we won't hearken to the voice of God. And then we wonder why there's no healing going on. Why is revival not breaking out? Why is deliverance not happening? Church, to disobey the voice of God is rebellion. 
And obedience is greater than sacrifice. If we want God to move, we got to get this thing right. It's time to trust God and lean not to our own understanding. Because Moses acted in an unorthodox way. His faith made things better. The key to your healing is how you submit to divine authority. By appropriating the word of God. Let me tell you a quick story and I'm going to close. A lady one day let her 16-year-old take her car. It was his first time trip out of town to go visit his relatives. She gives him directions. Of course, he doesn't follow them. Finds himself making a wrong turn and he ends up lost. He stopped to ask for directions, and he comes out to find that he lost his key. He looked everywhere. So what he dreaded to do, he had to call his mom. Mom, I'm lost, and I've lost the key to the car. She said, don't panic. On the dash is a Bible. The key to your situation is in the Word. Frustrated at his mom's response, he yells at mom, I don't got no time for no Bible stuff right now. I'm lost. I can't find the key, and it's fixing to be dark. She iterated, son, the key to your problem is in the word. Mom, would you please stop? You start that stuff all the time. That might be for you, but mom, that stuff's not for me. Mom says, son, if you would just shut up and open your Bible. Finally, he grabs it and opened. There it was. The spare key he needed was in the word. You see the key to what you need? even if you don't think so, is in the Word. The key to your circumstances, your emotional problems, your physical problems, it's all in here. God can turn bitter into sweet. This is what he wanted to do in the wilderness, teach them who he was. The water was better, but that wasn't all there was to it. Remember I said he prepares you for the promise, and that's what I love about verse 27. Bitter to better to sweet would have been enough, but God never stops blessing. You thought that was it. No, it ain't over just yet when you think it can't get no better. Verse 27 says, then they came to Elam, where there was 12 springs of water now, and 70 palm trees, and they camped by the waters. Wait a minute. We started with water, the Red Sea, no way out. Then they went to the wilderness. We had a water problem again. To see if they learned anything about God at the Red Sea, God tested them at Mar as well. After God gave them a principle, he gave them his name, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Well, the next place they go is Elam. They went from bondage to the Red Sea to the wilderness and now to Elam. What kind of place was this? Had 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. It sounded like paradise to me. But he didn't let them go to Elam by skipping Mara. He didn't tell them Elam was even next. Would have never got to Elam had they not learned a lesson in Mara. Elam had 12 springs. How many tribes were there? 12. One for each tribe. And I've come to tell you today, God's got a spring specifically for each one of you. Do you know what a spring is? It's not just water. It's flowing water. Water that allows to flow is always fresh. It's only stagnant water that becomes bitter. You see, God delivers them at the Red Sea, tested them and taught them at Marah, but showed them he is Jehovah Jireh, their provider at Elam. From Egypt to Elam to show them I've come to give you life. A lot of you are saying, I can't get to Elam. And God is saying, because you haven't learned nothing at Mara. Quit complaining. Until you do, you're stuck at Mara and you're bitter. You want to get better? Then hearken to the voice of God today. God wants to heal you today, take you to a place of refreshing. Whether you're spiritually, emotionally, physically, or sick today, he wants to heal you at Mara so you can go to Elam. He's got a spring for you. So he says in John 7, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But not only did they have their own spring, but 70 palm trees. So what did that mean? 
I mean, God also provides a covering, a protection for them. And I've come to tell the sick. I've come to tell the brokenhearted, those that are physically, emotionally, or spiritually sick today. God wants to heal you and refresh you and cover you. And the key to all of it is to hearken to his voice, live right in his sight, and keep his commandments. Will you hearken to the voice of the Lord today? Because here's what the, Lord, the voice of the Lord is saying today. If you don't know me as your Lord and Savior, you're spiritually sick, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Come today and give your life, and I will heal you of your sins, and I will make you whole. And the voice of the Lord is saying, if you're physically sick and you're need a healing, appropriate my word. If you're emotionally sick, this is a big one. A lot of what you're going through could be causing your physical problems, worry, stress, unbelief. Come and let him give you peace, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaven. Don't be ashamed. God expects you to not leave like you came in Jesus' name. And all you got to do is this. By faith, believe. Your faith is being tested to make you stronger, to cause your faith to grow stronger. Praise the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning?